loving the truth means hating that which is false or evil. Over in Psalm 119 again, verse 113, Psalm 119, verse 113, it says, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. The King James translates this, which I believe is a better translation. I hate vain thoughts. I hate vain thoughts, but I love your law. Now, in Gill's commentary, here's what he says about this verse, or this, especially this particular word, vain thoughts. He says the word is used for the opinions of men the ambiguous, doubtful, wavering, and inconsistent sentiments of the mind and is used of branches or the tops of trees waved with the wind to and fro and may be applied to all heterodox opinions, human doctrine, damnable heresies, such as are inconsistent with the perfections of God and are contrary to the word. So the term vain thoughts then refers to sentiments, ideas, opinions which are contrary to the Word of God, whether they be doctrines that are being taught or believed, whatever the situation might be. And this type of opinion is characteristic of being double-minded, of being, in other words, going this way and then that way and not following consistently the truth, not being consistent in faithfulness to God's word. And that's pretty much characteristic, again, of human nature and of human religion, even religions that purport to be based on Scripture, but in fact often are contrary to Scripture. This is something that God hates false doctrines, opinions, lies that are told that are not consistent with the truth. All false doctrine, lies, hypocrisy, and evil speaking should be abhorred and rejected, whatever their source might be. And in verse 163 of this chapter, verse 163, it says, I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. Again, we see the contrast here between hating that which is false and loving the law, the truth. The two go hand in hand. If you love the truth, you're going to hate that which is false. And if you can learn to hate lying, hate falsehood, that'll help you go a long way toward standing for the truth and learning to value the truth. If you can hate evil, hate what God hates, which among those things is lying and falsehoods, then that will help you to love the truth, to appreciate the truth. In the same chapter in verse 29, Psalm 119, verse 29, it says, Remove from me the way of lying. Remove from me the way of lying. This wouldn't be a bad thing for each of us to go to God before God and pray pretty regularly ask God to help us not to be caught lying, to learn to hate and despise lying, and to remove ourselves from any tendency or habit to lie. And grant me your law graciously, it goes on to say, 
I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. Notice again the contrast between departing from lying and choosing the way of truth. The two go hand in hand. And in Second John chapter 1, of course it only has one chapter, but Second John at verse 9, it says, Second John verse 9, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. So to have a relationship with God, and we've already sort of seen this expressed in several other places, the same basic idea, but if you do not have the doctrine of Christ, you do not have a relationship with God at least a saving relationship. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. So in order for us to maintain a relationship with the Father and Jesus Christ requires that we abide in the doctrine of Christ. Doctrine simply means teaching or word. The word, the teaching of Christ, which in its larger sense is the entire word of God. Jesus said, live by every word of God. So the word of God is what Jesus Christ taught. And all of it comes from him ultimately anyway. He, he's the one that inspired it through the Holy Spirit. And of course it comes from the Father as well through Christ and through the Spirit that they share. And so Christ's teaching, his doctrine is his word, the Bible, and the proper understanding of the Bible. Now, in verse 10, it says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, the doctrine of Christ, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. Now, and it says, He who greets him shares in his evil deeds. What this is telling us is that we do not look to someone who is bringing a false teaching. We do not look to such people as teachers and uh, if someone comes bringing an alien teaching, an alien doctrine, then we are to refuse to accept or listen to that person. Now, this does not mean that you do not greet somebody in the marketplace or that you cut off all contact with relatives who do not share the truth. That's not what it's talking about. This is talking about fellowshipping with someone spiritually and accepting fellowship with them in terms of spiritual fellowship. So if you know someone is bringing significant false doctrine to you and trying to present that to you and trying to convince you of it, then you have an obligation to reject that. What I would typically do when those people would show up at my doors kindly and politely say, I have my religion, I'm really not interested in listening to what you've got to say. And, you know, you don't have to be unpleasant or or unfriendly even or unkind, but you can just tell them, quite frankly, that, you know, you don't want to waste your time with, with what they're trying to peddle. And that would apply to anyone that's bringing to you a significant measure of false teaching. And remember, each of us is charged with the responsibility of judging 
those who would speak for God. And there are many warnings about that. Jesus said, beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. And we're the ones that have to beware. We're the ones that have to be able to identify the sheep from the wolves. And that's not always necessarily easy, but it's not something anyone else can do for you. It's something you've got to do. You've got to decide and judge who you're going to listen to. How are you going to judge that? The only way you can judge it properly is by knowing the truth and holding fast to the truth of God's word. And know what you believe, know why you believe it, and hold fast to it. Now, one of the reasons, perhaps the primary reason, we're told in Scripture that Jesus is accepted and exalted by God is because Jesus loves righteousness and hates lawlessness. Over in Hebrews 1 and verse 9, Hebrews 1 and 9, speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. So, this is characteristic of Jesus Christ. He loved righteousness. He hated lawlessness and does. Among the things that God hates is lying and lies. Over in Proverbs 6, we're told, seven specific things that God says he hates. Now, this isn't everything he hates, but these are seven specific things that that are pointed out specifically that God hates. And two of these, of these seven, two of them have directly to do with falsehoods or lying. In Proverbs 6 and, and verse 17, well, let's go to verse 16. It says, These six things the eternal hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. Now verse 17, a proud look. And number two, a lying tongue. And then in verse 19, it goes on with this list of things God hates. It says a false witness who speaks lies. So here are two things that have directly to do with lying that God says he hates. So that ought to tell us what God thinks about lying and speaking falsehoods. We need to learn to hate the things that God hates. And one of the things that he hates is lying and lies. So we need to develop the same contempt for lying that God has and forsake lying, forsake lies, and refuse to believe a lie because such is God's hatred for lying that no liar will be in God's kingdom. Anyone who is a habitual liar and insists on clinging to lies will not be in God's kingdom. And that's very plainly stated over in Revelation 21 and verse 7. Revelation 21 and verse 7, it says, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, Murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And it also says in chapter 22 and verse 14, Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs, in other words, shut out of God's kingdom, are dogs and sorcerers, dogs... 
speaking of certain types of immoral people, sorcerers, sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. So if we want to be in God's kingdom, we've got to forsake lying. We've got to learn to hate lies and love the truth. Now, the seventh thing that we need to do, as I mentioned briefly, if we love the truth, is share the truth. And there's quite a few people associated with different Church of God groups and leaders of these groups who have claimed that the work is done, meaning the work of preaching the gospel, that because Mr. Armstrong died, that was all that there was for the church to do, and the church has no further responsibility to preach the gospel. There's nothing in the Bible that suggests preaching the gospel depends on some particular individual living for, you know, from now till God's kingdom comes. There's no suggestion of that anywhere in the scripture. In fact, just the opposite. Now, one thing Mr. Armstrong had, and he had his faults, he was human, but one thing he did have was a burning desire to share the gospel message with as many people as possible, and he spent much of his life engaged in that effort. But the work of God did not end. The work of preaching the gospel did not end with his life. In fact, he said it didn't end specifically. And, of course, God's word says that. God's work will never be done or completed in this age. In fact, God is a workman, and his work's going to continue for eternity. So the, in that sense, the work of God will never be done. But humanly, we will never see a time when we can justify relaxing as the people of God from proclaiming the gospel message. That is the commission that Christ gave to the church to be a witness to the world, to preach the gospel and to watch. One of the jobs of a watchman is to watch and to issue a warning when one is called for. And these are the tasks, among other things, that God gave to his church. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 1, For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. What that tells us is that we must not hold our peace. In other words, we must not quit proclaiming the message until God's purpose for Israel is accomplished. But even when that is accomplished, the work will still not be over because God's way of life will still have to be taught all around the world. And that work is going to go on through the millennium and into the white throne judgment. So it's going to continue on to the end of the culmination of God's plan for mankind when God's family is complete. God the Father comes down out of heaven to dwell on the earth with men. Now, it's not our job individually to go out and preach the gospel. We're not required to go out on the street corners as individual members of the church and preach to people. That wouldn't be effective anyway. However, it is our responsibility collectively as the body of Christ to proclaim the gospel. All of us have a part in that, supporting it with our prayers, our tithes and offerings, and also, perhaps more than anything, our example. 
That is one of the primary ways through which the witness is done is through the individual examples of the members of the church, and that is one of the primary instruments through which people actually come into the church. Many people that have, are in the church came into the church by being acquainted with people who are part of the church. Yes, they heard the gospel, they read the literature, but in many cases they were also influenced by the example of people in the church, and even where that's not true, you're still going to influence other people as they become familiar with the church, either for good or ill. And Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, Matthew 5 and verse 14, he said, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor that do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So how does you let your light shine? Well, one way, of course, collectively is through the preaching of the gospel, but notice what it says. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So people are going to look at your example and they're going to be judging whether your example is consistent with what you profess. In other words, if you profess to be a Christian, is your example going to be consistent with that profession? And in chapter 2 of 1 Peter and verse 9, Peter said, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that is, the unconverted, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So, whether someone is influenced to repent now by your example really is not the decisive factor in how your example may influence the person. It says that they may glorify God in the day of visitation. That is, when they stand face to face before God and are confronted by God, and then they remember, yeah, I remember so-and-so. He or she was a member of God's church, and I remember how they lived their lives. And you want to make sure that what they remember about your example is positive. So another way we have of terms of loving the truth is to share the truth with others.